Great to see you all again. Um, so at RUF, you're never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And at the same time, you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. I say that every week. I think it's a great reminder to all of us. Uh, another way of putting this um, is that you never meet anyone that needs the gospel less than you. And you never meet anyone that needs the gospel more than you. That both of those statements are true. That if you are in this room um, and you're a Christian, uh, one of the reasons, um, where, uh, one of the things we recognize as Christians and believe is that we are always in need of Christ. And that's good news because Christ is what provides what we need. And so um, it's good to see all of you tonight. Um, this semester we've been going over the book of Ephesians. And one of the main themes of Ephesians is to understand the mystery of God's will. That's what Paul says uh, in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, now, mystery is not something like we think of when maybe you think of like a Sherlock Holmes book. Uh, like you, you're getting these clues, you're trying to decipher clues in order to solve this case. That's not necessarily what mystery means in the Bible. That in the Bible, uh, what typically it's being talked about with mystery is that there's something that's concealed uh, that's been revealed or something that needs to be revealed. Uh, and so in Ephesians, when Paul talks about making known the mystery of his will, that that is what God is doing, he is saying that the good news for us is that God has revealed to us the truth behind his plans for the world, that we don't really have to second guess what he's doing or what he has done, that he gives us all we need to know about what he uh, is doing. That, that this is enough, that that's why we come here and we study his word, uh, because he reveals it to us. He shows us what life is really all about. Uh, and so knowing this mystery, it affects everything. It changes how we understand our relationship to God. Uh, it changes how we understand ourselves, which is primarily what we've been talking about. Um, and tonight we're going to be talking about how this mystery changes how we relate to each other what it actually does to us with one another in community and how that is such an important part of the gospel. Uh, but before we read the passage, I want you to think about what comes to mind when I say two words to you. Group assignments. Group projects. Yeah, I see, I see some of the cringes. I see some of the bad faces. Um, and I think if you're in agreement with 91% of American students, that's not a statistic I made up, um, then you have a negative thought that comes to mind when I say group assignments. Now, why is that? Now, understand, I sympathize with you. I can remember being assigned group projects in college, and you always have that one person or several people. Uh, that can um, either A, they just can't ever make the group meetings, uh, or B, um, they get their, what their task is, but then, you know, you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting, and then finally at the very last second, they're going to contribute it, right? Um, and, or, or, you know, C, someone who really just doesn't do anything at all, just rides the coattails of the group and gets the grade, um, maybe uh, it's because you don't want to have to rely on others for your grade. Maybe that's why you don't like group projects. Uh, and you know why you, sh why you should get 
Uh, why should you get a bad grade for what someone else has done, right? Um, or maybe some of you are that member of the group. You know, I think I might have fallen more into that category, unfortunately. And what that does is it would always produce guilt in me and shame. Like I would just hang my head low when I would go to class because I know that those people are just like super judging me for being that guy in the group. Um, or maybe some of you just can't even stand the out, like downright awkwardness of just interacting with other people in your class that you don't ever interact with. Uh, but overall, American college students, there's one thing about you. It's that you despise group assignments. Right. There you go. Um, and as I mentioned before, or look at Ephesians so far, we've talked primarily about what God has done throughout history and how that impacts us internally and personally. Um, that we have been saved not from anything we've contributed individually, uh, but by his grace alone. It's like Jesus did the entire group project and we rode the coattails and got the 100% A plus grade. But then right after that, Paul immediately moves into how this also greatly affects us in our relationships to each other. Um, that last week in verses 1 through 10, you know, we're comforted by the gospel. And now verses 11 through 22, still part of the gospel, still great news. But if I had to guess, this is way more confrontational to us. It's way more challenging to us. This is something that makes us uncomfortable even. And I... It, this is why I believe that in, in the majority of our one-on-ones, you know, we'll talk a lot about personal things and like the way God is like working in your life and like good things that you're growing in your relationship with him, you're maturing, uh, or maybe some of you are struggling individually and we talk a little bit about that, but we often move into um, what's going on in your relationships. And that's always the hardest part. That's always the stuff that's creating huge tension in your lives. Uh, that's always what's producing some of the most anxiety for you, uh, the most discomfort, the most aggravation, whether you're an old Christian who's been doing this for a long time, a new Christian, or even not a Christian at all. Uh, we talk about your relationship to your family, your relationship to friends, your relationship to other students on campus. And a majority of the time, this is some really, really hard stuff. It's really, really hard to be and community. And yet, what we're about to read, Paul immediately moves from how the gospel impacts us individually to the gospel corporately. Like almost like they just go right together because they do. And the corporate connection to others is such an important part of the incredible news that I think us as individualists in America really miss a lot. Uh, so let's read together Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, but what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility 
by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray together. Dear God, we desire to know you. We desire to know all things about you. Uh, Please teach us and show us um, that often we miss out on certain parts of what it means to grow uh, by your spirit and to grow in community. Uh, And so I pray that you would just be with us tonight and give us what we need to know. Uh, Equip us, change our hearts, shape us. We love you, Lord. We thank you. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Um, So... Keeping in mind a little bit more of the original context of Ephesians, just kind of reminding y'all who was Paul writing to. Um, And so this group of people was in one of the major cities in Asia Minor at this time, the modern day country of Turkey. Um, This was a pagan city, meaning a majority of the people there worshiped Greek gods. They worshiped other things. Uh, There would not have been a day that Ephesian Christians, if you were a Christian in Ephesus, you would not have interacted with a person that was claiming some sort of other belief. There wouldn't have been a day that you would have just only interacted with Christians because you were the the minority in the city. Um, They would have constantly been reminded as you walked through the city of all the different things um, that was anti-gospel, anti-Jesus, anti-God. Uh, of, of what um, cults were, were being followed or temples that were erected all over the city. Um, these huge, beautiful buildings, they were constant reminders of, of worship of other gods. So to be in a, a Christian in this place was to be a minority with constant resistance, confusion as to why they didn't practice in the things that everybody else did. It was very diverse, pluralistic. Uh, sort of like being on a college campus, honestly, with all different kinds of beliefs, all different kinds of places of worship, in a sense, all different idols, all different, di- different faiths surrounding you constantly. Um, so potentially, he's writing to some who have been very faithful, resisting these idols, but also he could be writing to Christians who are really struggling to live in this pluralistic society. Uh, maybe even some who are recent converts that the, the person sitting next to him at one time they saw a week ago worshiping at the temple of Diana. And now they're worshiping the God of Israel together. Uh, so that just kind of puts you in the context of who Paul is writing to. Um, and so now they're part of this church community. And they need to understand what does that really mean? What does that do? And so what Paul directs them to is first he he talks about their individual understanding of who they are in Jesus. God chose them. This is not coincidence. That that you are founded on God's delight and love towards you. 
but also of the utmost importance to Paul is their understanding of who they are in relationship to the church, in relationship to others. He does not move away from it. In other words, what Paul is emphasizing is that it is impossible for them to be Christians separate from the church. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not, I don't believe, I'm not saying um, you can't be a Christian without being a member of the church. That you can be a Christian and not a member of a church. Um, Also, you can become a Christian without first being a member of the church. I'm not saying those things. But what I believe the Bible is saying, and it says over and over again, is that you cannot be a Christian in the full way that God has intended you to be without being part of his church, without being an active member. In our American individualistic society that hates group projects, we get this idea that we can be faithful, good Christians, as long as we've just got the resources, that we can just, you know, do it on our own. So all you need is a Bible, you know, all you need is some space, maybe a quiet place, quiet time, uh, maybe a good book that you can just kind of sort through on your own, a journal, and then you're good. And, and church is this place where we can go, we can sing good songs, we can feel good. It's where we as individuals can meet, kick it with our bros, with our girls, hang out, that we grow on our own time and then we gather as people. That the church is not the most vital part of the Christian life. And yet the Bible says the opposite. It says the opposite, guys. Scripture continuously shows that the more alone you are in your Christian walk, the less intimate you will be with God. I'll repeat that. The more alone you are in your Christian walk, the less intimate you will be with God. That in order for you to fully mature as a Christian, it's so necessary to be an active member of his church on a regular basis. It's not optional. That a lot of uh, times we meet, you come to me and you say, I want to grow. I say, great. I want you to grow. Or you say, I, you know, I don't feel God. I don't feel close to God right now. I want to. I want to feel his presence. I want to feel his purpose for my life. Or I don't know what to do. I, I wish God would just show me where to go and what to do. And I hear that. And I know that that's a struggle. And my question for you is this. Are you part of a church? And if your answer is, I want to know God, but I don't really want to be a part of this church, or I don't want to become a part of it, then you've got to realize you don't fully know God in the way he wants you to know him. And this passage points to that. So briefly, let me just identify how it, how it does that, how it, this particular truth is highlighted in these few verses in Ephesians. And so um, first... I want us to see what, what is life outside the church really like? What, is it, what does it look like apart from the church? And so in verses 11 and 12, we really see what all of us were before Christ. Paul points out that Gentiles, um, these Ephesians, were at one time called the uncircumcised. 
that Jewish people, the people of Israel, uh, would call the uncircumcised those that were on the outside, those that were not part of God's people, who had not received this covenant sign um, of circumcision. Uh, but it was always meant to be the inward, uh, points to the inward significance uh, of circumcision of the heart. So this was sort of a derogatory term. It'd be like uh, names that groups call uh, people of other races, a derogatory thing. That's essentially what the uncircumcised meant. And this highlighted what Paul goes on to say in verse 12. It separated them and it alienated them. They were the other. And Paul here is most likely pointing to a very literal separation. Uh, Because in Jewish temples, if people from other ethnicities wanted to come and worship, they were given a spot, but it was on this outward courtyard area. Um, So outward parts of the temple. And this was known as the court of the Gentiles. And to make sure they wouldn't cross this area, there would be this large five-foot wall that would be placed. Uh, So it kept Gentiles from entering into the inner courts where Jewish people could go uh, and fully worship. Now imagine you're a Gentile in that time. And you're curious about the God of Israel. You've heard good things. And uh, you want to come see, him, see the worship. What does a five-foot wall that you can't cross over to you say about how the people within the inner courts think of you? Most likely that you're not really wanted. Uh, that you need to stay away. That you don't belong. That you're not fully part of our group. This is the wall that Jesus completely demolishes. Now, this highlights for something for us today, I think. Because we don't necessarily have physical walls that keep others away, but we have figurative walls that I think we put up all the time. If you're a Christian here, understand that time and time again, one thing that is heard from non-Christians is that we don't really want them here. That we need to protect ourselves from them. that they don't belong here. What are the walls that you put up that give non-Christians this message? You know, sometimes I think it's kind of the Christian lingo we we use, Christian jargon, that often they have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, Is it the exclusion of certain activities? Like, do y'all have a space that people who don't know Jesus can freely just come and hang out and know that they're invited to? Is it even the informal gatherings on campus where you eat and hang out? Like, who are the people that you most avoid that, like, you can't really sit with? Can't eat with them, can't hang out with them. Continue to ask yourself this. What are the walls that we as Christians subconsciously promote? Understand, Jesus destroyed the wall. Also, maybe some of you are here, and you're, you're not a Christian. I don't know all of your stories, but I've, I've heard some. I've heard some of the skepticism. First off, no, I am so glad that you're able to sit here in this room and listen and think about things and be here. Also understand that one of the ways the Bible talks about those on the outside of the church 
is identifying this deep loneliness that often comes from that. That fundamental to our nature outside of God is this deep longing to belong. This deep desire to be a part of the people. This deep desire to be with someone. And I'm not just talking about friendship or a spouse, but someone who really, really knows you. That you can come and be seen. And the place that the Bible talks about being fully known, that God has placed, is within his church. That this should be a place you can come and be known. Um, so that's life on the outside. How do we become a part of it? So in verse 3, last week we talked about but God. Well, this is another statement. Oh, verse 13. Um, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in this flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Tim Keller points out that the word hostility, it's repeated twice in this passage. Once here, and then again in verse 16, where it says that God kills the hostility on the cross. He kills the hostility. But who died on the cross? Jesus. But it says he killed the hostility on the cross. That this actually points to a really deep theological truth that within our nature we are hostile to others who are different. You know, that includes in the church. Our brothers and sisters includes those on the outside of the church. Those within our family. Those outside our family. Uh, you know, all of us become hostile or hold contempt with people with different ideas, different opinions, different personalities. Uh, the list goes on. Maybe even just sitting in this room and examining all the different various personalities and situations we have here. Maybe there's even contempt in here. Right? But... but Something about us is we do this. We become hostile. And the way God has brought about breaking down the wall of hostility, hostility that is built up is by making Jesus the hostility. He made Jesus the hostility on the cross and killed it. He didn't just become sinful on the cross. Like sin was just added to him. He became sin. Which means that every single point of human history, all the racism, oppression, violence that we experience all the time, it was placed on Jesus in that moment. He became the hostility. And therefore, he's become our peace. And this is not just like, you know, as you reflect on the cross, as you reflect on the gospel, huh, it gives you just like this peaceful feeling, which is good, Right? Maybe, maybe it does create that. No, he's saying he became peace for you. You are peace now. That when God looks at you, he doesn't see hostility because of your belief in Jesus. He sees the peace. And therefore, what this does is it breaks down our subjective hostility. Uh, our hostility that, that we experience on a daily basis to others. Which means you look at the person entering into a group or into church who maybe doesn't work as hard as you. 
Maybe it's pretty lackadaisical. Uh, or maybe um, you see all of these sinful patterns in them that are driving you absolutely insane. And maybe you confront them, and then the next day it's the exact same thing. Or maybe you see all the immaturity, and it annoys you, or it creates anger in you. But when you look at the cross and see that all of those things, not just from that person, but actually from you, were placed once and for all onto Jesus, it should humble you. It should cause you to be able to move towards that person and forgive. It should free you to bear with that person that creates hostility in you. Because hostility in the church has been killed in Jesus. It changes things. And I think one thing that often keeps people from wanting to do this Christian thing on their own, uh, or, or what keeps people wanting to do this Christian thing on their own, is because it is so hard to move towards broken and dirty people who don't have it together. Or maybe you feel broken and dirty, and you feel like you don't have it together, and you don't want to want to move towards others. And one of the biggest marks of Jesus in you, of Jesus changing you, one of the biggest marks is the ability to show up. To show up in that state. To show up before people that are broken and dirty in front of you. And be with them. And move towards them. That is one of the biggest marks that Jesus is changing you. Is that a mark of your life? Is that a mark of your life? Because what that does is it moves you to life inside the church. And this is the good news of what being in the church actually shows us. Uh, what has Jesus actually accomplished? And so verses 19 through 22, Paul gives these metaphors that describe what is it really like to be part of the church. And the first one he says is that we are fellow citizens. This means that when you enter into the community, you're not entering as an American. You're not entering as a college student. You're not entering as a male or female, primarily, or as smart and thoughtful, or as white or black, or as Texan, or as Republican or Democrat. You are entering as Christian. That is the single defining thing about you. You enter as Christian. Your social identity is Christian. Now, I'm not saying those other things aren't important, but they're really not important. <laughs> because you are Christian. He redefines you who you are. It's why so many people from all different nations can gather together into one room because they are Christian. So what events or talents or things in your life do you let define you when you come into a room like this? Or when you go into church? Because we do that, right? For some of you, maybe it's the glory of the past. What you've done, what you've accomplished. You know, the talents you have. Maybe you're super smart, well-liked. Maybe you're well-read. You know, maybe that's why you enter into a room like this, to bring something. Maybe for others of you, it's, it's the events in your life that haunt you, that are defining you. 
Maybe you enter into a room like this and it's about the trauma you've experienced. And that has defined you and shaped you in so many ways. Maybe it's about a sin you can't get over. And that's your main identity. Know that in the church, your new identification is you are a Christian. You're a citizen. But then too, Paul moves even further to say that not only are you citizens, but you're family. You're part of God's household. You're an adopted child. It's why we call each other brothers and sisters. That it's a new family from all different walks of life. You know, I've talked with people who have been adopted. Some of you have been adopted. And some from places where they've been separated actually from their biological siblings. And some, not with everybody, but some people I talk to, they talk to me about how they, they wonder about their sister or their brother. That was their blood, <laughs> what they're doing, where they are. And I think that same thought and yearning uh, should be a part of us as a family in Christ Church. Is that yearning and desire to know our people just I, uh, is characterized of the people of God. So do you know the people that you're surrounded by? Do you know your family? And then number three, and I'll close with this. Paul says that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That we are indeed a building block of the church. Founded on the apostles and the prophets, but we are part of its structure. We are cemented together. And if the other two uh, metaphors didn't demonstrate just the intensity of the Christian community, this one really hones it in. This one really drives it in. It means that without you, as a Christian, as a fellow citizen, as a part of the family, without you being with me, with your family, in the church, there's a loss. That you are actually part of the way that God builds his body. So much so that the way that I grow in my faith, the way that you grow in your faith, that God actually uses you in the church to mature me in certain ways and to mature you in certain ways. We need each other. That part of the incredible beauty of being in the local church is that God condescends to so intimately close to us. And that part of the way we get to know his love and kindness even more fully is by being in relationship with one another. That I, I, I can think of times that I've gotten up in the morning or I've had a week, just one of those weeks, and one of my main prayers every day is, God, please help me. <laughs> I'm depressed. I'm upset. I'm confused. And then like going on throughout the week, I, I don't feel his presence. And then I come in on Sunday and I stand next to a dear person that I've gotten to know. And they're able to put their arm around me and hold me. And that's how God has answered his prayer, my prayer.
that I am, he uses his church to move towards me and hold me. Let's pray. Dear God, uh, thank you for uh, just this time that we can reflect on what it means to be a part of your body. I pray that you would just be uh, with everyone here, that you would remind them of uh, just the importance of um, just their individual status before you. Just that is so important. But out of that, it would, it would cause them to move uh, and grow and desire to be a part of all of the ways that you meet them and all of the ways that you form them. And part of that is in your body in the church. Uh, So God, please uh, be with us this week, be with us tonight as we close, uh, and just confirm to us how much um, you desire to meet us and to grow us. It's in Christ's name. Amen.